0: M S W media Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting The Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And thanks to Avast for supporting The Daily Beans. With Avast One, you can confidently take control of your online world by helping you stay safe from viruses, phishing attacks, ransomware, hacking attempts, and other cybercrimes. Learn more about Avast One at Avast.com. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 5th, 2022. Today, Trump's legal team is in talks with the Department of Justice. The verdict is in for Alex Jones. The Department of Justice and the January 6th committee have requested the materials from Alex Jones's phone. John Eastman was involved in the Georgia pressure campaign. Donald faces an uphill battle on executive privilege claims with the Department of Justice. Fulton County D.A. Fonnie Willis responds to Lindsey Graham. Senator Dick Durbin is asking the Department of Defense Inspector General to investigate their missing text messages, while the White House press secretary declares Biden has no plans to fire the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General. And the Department of Justice files charges against four officers in the death of Breonna Taylor. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I am very excited it's Friday because here's something that's very cool. Later today... At 4 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to have our Muller She Wrote and Daily Beans and Book Club happy hour. That's 4 Pacific time. And then right after that, we have the Clean Up on Aisle 45 happy hour for patrons. So if you're a patron, join us then. You can ask us anything. I would say within reason, but no, you don't have to even be within reason. You can just whatever. Ask us whatever. (laughs) Andrew Torres and I will be there for the happy hour for Clean Up on Aisle 45. Again, that's 5 p.m. Pacific time today. And I will be there answering your questions at the happy hour for the Daily Beans patrons. And that's at 4 p.m. Pacific later, later this afternoon. Also, later in the show today, I'm going to be talking with Lehigh County Recorder running for State Senate in Pennsylvania, Mr. Mark Pinsley. We're going to talk about SCOTUS and his campaign and other things. And there is a verdict in mostly in the Alex Jones case. Actual damages have been decided, and he has to pay. $4.1 $4.1 million. Now, the jury has yet to decide punitive damages. They're going to figure that out tomorrow. That's more subjective. Actual damages is like doctor bills and things with monetary value that, you know, have an absolute value. Punitive damages is tomorrow, and that's more subjective. The plaintiffs are asking for $150 million. And there are now reports that the Department of Justice and the January 6th committee have asked the Sandy Hook lawyers for Alex Jones's phone. And that's the, you know, all the information on his phone, text messages and communications that were, I guess, accidentally put in the discovery portal and um, (laughs) have now been handed over completely free and clear to the lawyers for the Sandy Hook plaintiffs. And uh, the Department of Justice and the January 6th committee have asked the lawyers for the contents of Alex Jones's phone. And the lawyer says, we're going to hand it over. So we'll see if an actual friendly subpoena goes out or however that works legally. I I would put a subpoena out there, but, you know, I guess you probably don't need one, but maybe just for due diligence. We'll see what happens. Uh, My beans are on a subpoena, but it would be a friendly one. All right. We do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The former guy and his legal team, well, his legal team at least, are in direct communication with the Justice Department and top officials at the Department of Justice. This is the first sign of talks between the two sides as the criminal probe into January 6th accelerates. And that's according to sources familiar with the matter, talking to Caitlin Pollitz of CNN. The talks revolve around whether Trump would be able to shield conversations he had while he was president from federal investigators. Now, in recent weeks, investigators have moved aggressively into Trump's orbit, subpoenaing former top White House officials focusing on efforts to overturn the election, and executing searches of lawyers who sought to aid those efforts. The Trump's team's discussions are with the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. That's my buddy Matt Graves and Mr. Wyndham. And that is the U.S. Attorney's Office that is in charge of the investigation and its top January 6th prosecutor, Wyndham. As I said, that's according to the sources. The conversations have not been previously reported. This is brand new. This is breaking. At this stage, the conversations are focused mostly on whether any communications that witnesses from the Trump West Wing had with the former president can be kept from a federal criminal grand jury under Trump's claim of executive privilege. The Justice Department has been anticipating a court fight. They've been prepping for it. This court fight with Trump over executive privileges. The issue has arisen as grand jury subpoenas have been issued to two former White House counsel office officials and to former Pence's chief of staff and chief counsel. As we know, that's Mark Short, Greg Jacob, and then, of course, Patsy Bologna and his deputy, uh, what's his name, Pat Philbin. Trump has grilled his attorneys on whether they actually believe he'll be facing formal charges, but the former president has expressed a heavy dose of skepticism that he'll be indicted. That's according to a source familiar. Another source close to the former president told CNN Trump also has posed questions about potential indictments to members of his inner circle, some of whom believe the president is concerned about the possibility of federal charges. But one person close to Trump says he is noticeably more engaged when he's chatting with friends and advisors about the 2022 midterms and his possible presidential campaign in 2024. Preet Bharara tells CNN that this news, that the Department of Justice and Trump's lawyers are talking, is extremely significant because actively engaging directly means there's legal jeopardy here. The decision whether or not to charge Trump is probably many, many months from now, as I have said and Preet Bharara says on CNN, but that they're choosing to fight and argue now shows what they're thinking about. Now, his team has warned him indictments are possible and he's been advised by his lawyers to cut off communications with others who appear to be in legal trouble, including Mark Meadows. He has also said, uh, Preet said, in any skepticism, that Donald won't face charges is now contradicted by these direct talks and there's a real possibility that he'll be indicted but it's just too soon to know and from politico Donald Trump's camp has yet to say whether he'll try to use executive privilege to disrupt the justice department's grand jury investigation we did just get a little bit of confirmation that his lawyers are in talks about that with the department of justice but if he does try to uh, invoke executive privilege it's going to be a very short fight that's according to Politico. In a series of court rulings prompted by Trump's efforts to stymie the House January 6th Select Committee's investigation, the they sharply rejected Trump's bid to wield the power as former president. Many of these fights have been rejected. In fact, the Supreme Court agreed that Trump's effort to assert privilege would have failed even if he were still the president, effectively granting the committee access to Trump's White House papers. Now, those rulings could carry significant ramifications as Trump confronts growing grand jury investigation problems into his efforts to seize a second term that he didn't win, including testimony last month by Mark Short and Greg Jacob. On Tuesday, ABC reported Trump's former White House counsel, Pat C. Baloney, had received a grand jury subpoena. Cipollone's deputy, Pat Philbin, was also summoned to the grand jury, a development first reported by CNN and confirmed by Politico. Short, Jacob and Cipollone testified to the January 6th Select Committee, but negotiated strict terms to avoid discussing their direct interactions with Donald, a nod to the disputed possibility that such communications could be protected by privilege. But it is unlikely, says Politico, that such claims would pass muster in a criminal probe. Quote, there is no way that any court would say they didn't have to testify to conversations with President Trump in a grand jury investigation a criminal investigation arising out of that conduct. That's Neil Eggleston, who served as a White House counsel to Obama and represented Clinton in several executive privilege fights. Quote, there's no doubt if this goes to a court, it would hold that the department is entitled to the information. I think it's a no-brainer, he said. Now, it remains unclear whether Donald intends to formally assert executive privilege in a bid to block any testimony to the grand jury. However, Trump is likely to be at a disadvantage in such a legal battle because of the defeats he already suffered as he tried to block the National Archives from disclosing thousands of pages of his White House records to the 1-6 Select Committee. That fight also helped the Justice Department hone arguments that may come into play in the grand jury probe encircling Trump's allies. The department represented the National Archives in that fight, lodging extensive briefs opposing Trump's power to assert privilege, executive privilege, as a former president over the objection of the sitting president, Joe Biden. Both the exceptional events of January 6th amply justify President Biden's determination that assertion of privilege is unwarranted with respect to the records at issue. That's Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelegar. She contended that in the Supreme Court brief she filed. And, she said, Trump has not even attempted to offer any specific countervailing need for confidentiality. In short, the Justice Department's grand jury investigation might benefit from Trump's repeated efforts to block investigations of the past, even before these court rulings. The department typically had the upper hand in battles over privilege. Grand jury subpoenas are more legally potent than a congressional subpoena. Shouldn't be, but they are. And the Justice Department will enter any fight with Trump armed with a court-approved strategy to defeat Trump's executive claims. Judges at every level determined or acquiesced in rulings that the urgency of Congress's need to investigate 1-6 easily outweighed Trump's desire to maintain the secrecy of potentially privileged records quote, presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. That was U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin in her first ruling against Trump last November. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals followed suit with a 68-page opinion rejecting Trump's effort to assert privilege on multiple bases. A separate legal fight between Trump's last chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and the January 6th Select Committee may also come to bear on Trump's ability to assert executive privilege issues in his grand jury investigation. In that civil case, Meadows asserted, this is where Meadows, you know, sued the the 1-6 committee because he didn't want to hand over stuff. Meadows asserted immunity from congressional subpoenas, a power that the Justice Department has long supported for sitting presidents and their immediate advisors. But the department had never weighed in on whether similar immunity applies to a former aide to a former president. In fact, The Justice Department's only reference to any similar scenario was to directly cite a decision by Harry Truman to resist a subpoena from the House Un-American Activities Committee after he left office, citing separation of powers concerns. But Truman's, quote, held no legal value, and the matter has never been litigated until now. In a 17-page brief filed in Mehta's case just over two weeks ago, as I reported to you, the Justice Department, for the first time, said that a former aide to a former president does not have absolute immunity from compelled testimony and that Biden's decision to waive privilege should take precedence over any attempt by a former president to assert it. Quote, the Department of Justice can get in front of a court really fast, unlike Congress, says Eggleston. That's the former Obama White House counsel I was telling you about. Quote, they can do it in a matter of days. They can work so much faster and they don't really have to negotiate. Now, legal experts say the reported grand jury subpoenas to Cipollone and Philbin raise issues beyond the traditional executive privilege ones because they were, at times, giving Trump legal advice that would normally be protected by attorney-client privilege. However, in a 1998 dispute stemming from independent counsel Ken Starr's probe of Clinton, the D.C. Circuit Court ruled that government attorney-client privilege had to yield to a grand jury subpoena in the context of a criminal investigation. We have precedent. Quote, the D.C. Circuit is very explicit that government attorneys do not have any greater privilege than other advisors when it comes to information they have that's relevant to a grand jury. That's Ryan Goodman, a New York University law professor and co-founder of the Just Security blog. Quote, I think it's highly likely that Trump will lose very quickly because there's case law in the D.C. circuit contradicting any such claims. Very interesting. And remember they got McGahn to testify? White House counsel? That guy? That's important, too. And in other news, John Eastman sent an email a couple weeks after the insurrection arguing that pro-Trump forces should sue to keep searching for the supposed election fraud he acknowledged they had failed to find. He acknowledged they failed to find any. On January 20th, hours after President Biden's inauguration, Eastman emailed Rudy proposing that they challenge the outcome of the runoff elections in Georgia for two Senate seats that had been won on January 5th by Ossoff and Warnock. Quote, a lot of us have now staked our reputations on the claims of election fraud, and this would be a way to gather proof, Eastman wrote in the previously undisclosed email, which also went to others, including a top Trump campaign advisor. Quote, if we get proof of fraud on January 5th, it will likely also demonstrate the fraud on November 3rd, thereby vindicating President Trump's claim and serving as a strong bulwark against Senate impeachment. The email, which was reviewed by the Times and authenticated by people who worked on the Trump campaign at the time, is the latest evidence that even some of Trump's most fervent supporters knew they had not proven their baseless claims of widespread voter fraud, but wanted to continue their efforts to delegitimize the outcome even after Biden had taken office. Just more proof that they knew. Eastman's message also underscored that he had not taken on the work of keeping Mr. Trump in office just out of conviction. He asked for Giuliani's help collecting on a $270,000 bill that he sent the Trump campaign the previous day for his legal services. Charges included $10,000 a day for eight days of work in January, including two days before January 6th, when Eastman and Trump, during meetings in the Oval Office, sought unsuccessfully to pressure Pence to go along with the plan to block congressional certification of the Electoral College results. It appears Eastman was never paid. He should flip, right? Just out of spite. Also, the number two Senate Democrat Wednesday called for an inspector general investigation into missing text messages from Defense Department officials in the Trump administration related to the 1-6 attack on the Capitol. This is Dick Durbin, Senator Dick Durbin, chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, said he was sending a letter to Sean O'Donnell, the Defense Department's inspector general, seeking an investigation into the disappearance of text messages from the phones of at least five former Trump administration officials, including Christopher Miller, that's the acting defense secretary, Kosh Patel, the Pentagon's chief of staff, and Ryan McCarthy, the army secretary. Also included, Piat. I've been talking about that guy for a long time. The officials were involved in discussions about sending the National Guard to the Capitol during the mob violence. I think this is a terrible idea. And here's why. The Office of Inspector General, the Inspector General at Department of Defense, Sean O'Donnell, was installed by Trump after Trump fired the old Inspector General because he didn't want that person in charge of COVID fraud oversight. And the General Administration Office, the GAO, found that Sean O'Donnell is serving illegally. As the acting Inspector General, he is in violation of the Vacancies Act, just like Chad Wolf, whose text messages are also missing. The White House press secretary said today that Biden has no plans to fire the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General Kufari, and as I predicted, she said it's because the president believes in the independence of the Inspector General oversight and has faith in Kufari. I do not, nor do I have faith in O'Donnell at Department of Defense, or yeah, nor do I have faith in the IRS Commissioner Charles Redig, Fire that fucker and Louis DeJoy. I think. I think the Postal Board of Governors is meeting next week. We need to fire that guy, too. So let's keep the pressure on POTUS to fire these shady Trump holdovers. And Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis spelled out the scope of her office's investigation and its focus on Senator Lindsey Graham in a Thursday federal court filing responding to his attempts to challenge a special grand jury subpoena. Willis indicated a central focus of her investigation was Trump's now infamous January 2nd, 2021 call to Raffensperger asking him to find 11,780 votes. That is the crux of the fraud. If you believe you won by 400,000, you don't ask for 11,780. Raffensperger resisted Trump's pressure and later testified to the January 6th committee and also in Willis's investigation. And her investigation has resulted in subpoenas for many of Trump's allies and Republican lawmakers who boosted Trump's efforts to hold on to power in January of 2021. Lindsey Graham, who was a Senate Judiciary Committee chair at the time, called Raffensberger in the aftermath of the election, apparently in an effort to ask him to toss some 2020 ballots that just happened to be cast by black voters. Graham has characterized the calls as benign, but Willis said his recollection was not consistent with accounts of the call from Raffensperger and his top deputy, Gabriel Sterling. They weren't benign. Graham's, quote, actions certainly appear interconnected with former Trump's similar efforts to pressure Georgia election officials into finding 11,780 votes and to spread Georgia election fraud disinformation. That's what Fonnie Willis said in the filing. A hearing on this motion is scheduled for next Wednesday. I will keep you posted. And big news. Four current and former Louisville officers are facing federal charges in connection with the fatal police shooting murder of Breonna Taylor including excessive force, falsifying information on the search warrant that led to the killing, and staging a cover-up. That's according to Attorney General Merrick Garland. Kelly Goodlett, Joshua Janes, and Kyle Meany are accused of falsifying information on a search warrant before and after Taylor, 26, was killed in March 2020, sparking a wave of racial justice protests across the country. This was the part that pissed me off. I mean, the whole thing pisses me off. But the fact that they falsified the fucking warrant to go in, no knock, guns blazing, they shouldn't even have been there. And now Merrick Garland has brought charges for that. Brett Hankinson is charged with two counts of deprivation of rights under color of law. Hankinson and Janes were fired from the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department after being accused of wrongdoing related to Taylor's death, though Janes is suing to get his job back. A Louisville police spokesperson said in a statement that Chief Erica Shields began termination procedures for Meany and Goodlitt on Thursday. Okay. The counts announced Thursday are the first federal charges brought against any of the officers stemming from the raid. And at a news conference at Justice Department headquarters in downtown D.C., Garland said the officers not only violated Taylor's Fourth Amendment rights, but also knew the allegations listed in the indictments would lead to a dangerous situation, one that resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. Quote, Brianna Taylor should be alive today, he said in the news conference. Brianna Taylor, who's a black emergency room technician, was killed early on March 13th, 2020, when plainclothes police officers burst into apartment to carry out a search warrant, a falsified search warrant, in a drug probe. While the officers knocked, there is a disagreement about whether they identified themselves as police. I don't know if it's a disagreement as much as they didn't. Kenneth Walker, Taylor's boyfriend, fired a shot with his legally owned gun, striking an officer in the leg. He later said he did not realize the people who had entered the apartment were law enforcement officers. Several officers shot back, opening fire, killing Brianna Taylor. Louisville police later fired detective Miles Cosgrove, who the FBI determined fired the fatal shot, and Hankison who fired 10 shots that did not hit Taylor. State officials did not charge anyone in Taylor's death. That's state officials. The first federal indictment unsealed Thursday charges Janes, 40, a former detective, and Meany, 35, a sergeant with federal civil rights and obstruction offenses for their roles in preparing and approving the search warrant affidavit that contained false information and led to the raid in the first place. A separate Justice Department charging document accuses Goodlett of conspiring with Janes to falsify the search warrant and cover up their actions after. Garland said Goodlett and Janes allegedly met in a garage after the killing and conspired to lie to investigators about the circumstances that led to it. Hankison, 46, He's actually accused of willfully using unconstitutional force for firing 10 shots through Taylor's patio door during the raid. That's according to a second indictment just for firing those 10 shots. That's considered excessive. He was acquitted in March of three state charges of wanton endangerment for firing those shots without a clear target. Hankison faces a maximum sentence of life in prison since the violation he is charged with resulted in death or involves an attempt to kill according to the DOJ. None of his shots hit her, but he faces life in prison. The obstruction count carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, and the conspiracy counts and false statement charge carry a maximum sentence of five years. The Justice Department and the FBI have long been probing the Taylor case for potential civil rights violation, and in April of 2021, Garland announced a pattern or practice probe of the Louisville Police Department to determine whether the agency had engaged in abuse of power and unlawful tactics. That investigation is still ongoing. On Thursday, the attorney general said his agency was committed to fighting for justice on Taylor's behalf, now more than two years after her murder. All right, I'll be right back with the Lehigh County Controller running for Pennsylvania State Senate, Mr. Mark Pinsley. We're going to discuss his campaign and recent and future SCOTUS cases that could jeopardize democracy. Stay with us. After these messages, will be Hey, everybody, it's AG. It's important to take digital security seriously. Avast has been a global leader in cyber protection for more than 30 years and is trusted by over 435 million people, preventing over 1.5 billion attacks every month. Avast empowers you with digital safety and privacy no matter who you are, where you are, or how you connect, which allows you to enjoy the opportunities that come with being connected on your own terms. And this is now I want to tell you about Avast One. Avast One is their best protection yet. It gives you everything you need to take control of your safety and privacy online. It's accessible through a single easy-to-use interface. It's amazing. Avast's privacy features keep your identity and actions hidden while online, while their security solutions stop malware, phishing, and virus attacks. Plus, their performance products clean up and speed up your devices, making your life safer and easier and saving you time. A vast even has a free version that includes the essential features such as free antivirus, free VPN, and free firewall protection because everyone deserves to feel safe and secure online. Some of my favorite features are that firewall protection. It keeps my personal information secure. It prevents attacks that seek to access my computer and steal my data. And their ransomware protection. It secures photos, documents, and other files from being modified, deleted, or encrypted by ransomware attacks. So thanks to Avast for supporting the Daily Beans. Confidently take control of your online world with Avast One. It helps you stay safe from viruses, phishing attacks, ransomware, hacking attempts, and other cybercrimes. Learn more about Avast One at avast.com. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored today to be joined again by our friend. He's currently the Lehigh County Controller in Pennsylvania, and he is a candidate for State Senate in Pennsylvania, Mark Pinsley. Hi, Mark.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I am really excited to talk to you today because of some very terrifying potential news coming down the pike. Well, the news is already terrifying, but the potential of what could happen is what worries me the most. This is the thing that keeps me up at night, and it's that the Supreme Court has decided to take up a case called Moore v. Harper. And that's about throwing power to to state legislatures to decide the will of the people in that state. And you are running to be a state senator. And so right now, I think our state legislatures are critically important. And that's why I wanted to speak to you today. Can you tell me a little bit about your concerns with this new case that SCOTUS has decided to take up on the calendar this term?
1: Yes, absolutely. So first off, let me just say that democracy, as you and I have known it, it is over in the way that we have known it, right? So the controlling party now is the Supreme Court. And it is an extreme Supreme Court. And we have seen the things that they have taken away already. So they've took away some of our Fourth Amendment rights, which is the ability to have somebody need a warrant to come into our house. Now the border control within 100 miles of any border, so that includes the oceans, can come into our house. Roe versus Wade, obviously, was overturned. Guns in New York. Prayer is now allowed in school. Separation of church and state. And now, as you said, more is there. And basically what that would allow... To happen is if we, the people, voted for one particular candidate, they could change. The, the legislator themselves at the state level could change who actually wins the election. We cannot allow that to happen, even if the Supreme Court says that that's true. We, at least here in Pennsylvania, I will not allow that to happen. Whoever wins, wins, and whoever loses, loses. And that's the way it needs to be.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I think it's very important that we speak to candidates like yourself, that are running for state legislature that would be willing to i don 't know go along with whatever the will of the voters is and not just turn over and hand over wins to you know this is what Trump tried to do in 2020 in these seven states was to have alternate fraudulent slates of electors put forward by these state legislatures who at the time were not allowed to do it under their own laws, but they want to make this happen, and so I think it's so important that we talk to candidates like yourself let 's talk about. Some of the things that are on your mind and I know that you're working on in your campaign, including other things that the Supreme Court has recently done. Let's talk about the Miranda warnings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if people don't already know. So you no longer need to have Miranda rights read to you. So previously, you know, during an arrest, you would, you know, like if you've ever watched law and order, you have the right to remain silent, et cetera. Well, now they've determined that that's no longer necessary which is terrible right like so everybody should at least know what their rights are and what they're doing is they're increasing the power of the police the arresting person over the power of the person that who is being arrested who has not yet gone to court has not yet been found guilty right we're only talking about somebody who has been arrested that doesn't necessarily mean that they're guilty doesn't mean that they're innocent either right that's uh, you know they've been arrested for a reason but they should certainly be given their rights and so this is these are the kind of things at a state level that we can still enforce, even though it's not required at a federal level, at the state level, we can make that happen. And so that's the reason why, like, not only do you have to vote for somebody in your state Senate or your state House, but you need to know where they stand on these issues. Are they willing to fight for them? Just to be honest, like, I have been very disappointed. At least two Democrats, right, Manchin and Cinema, who have really, you know, They have accelerated the demise of democracy in my mind. And then, of course, Biden, who, you know, I voted for, I have supported. And up until now, up until Roe versus Wade, you know, I probably would continue to support. But where is he? I feel like he's hiding under his desk. You know, and we don't need we don't need any more legislators like that. We need to find legislators that are going to fight for the people, regardless of where they are, you know, whatever state they're in. And I think we also need to educate other states that are solidly blue. So let's say California, New York, Massachusetts, that we need them to invest in the purple states right now at the state level. So that means the governor, that means the state senators, and that means the state houses. And I know there's a lot more people to invest in you know, than just at the federal level, but it's imperative that we get money to all of these states. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and you and I probably don't really see eye to eye on the Biden thing. I mean, he's called for ending the filibuster to codify Roe, which would probably be immediately gutted by the Supreme Court anyway. There's really not much the president can do and honestly, not much he should be able to do. We, we shouldn't have an executive with extreme wieldy power, which is what Donald Trump wanted to do. But what we can agree on is that it's going to be up to the states and the state legislatures and the state governors and the state secretaries of state to make sure that these draconian SCOTUS rulings do not impact the voters in those individual states. And that's why I think, again, it is so important that we make sure that we speak to candidates like yourself who are willing to to push back against these. I mean, Christo fascist is the only reasonable word to call it.
1: Yeah. And here in Pennsylvania, you see Doug Mastriano. I mean, Christo fascist is exactly the right word. And I agree with you that I don't want a president to have those kind of powers and when I say that I'm disappointed in him, I guess what I would like to have seen, he does have the bully pulpit and I would have liked to have seen him gone to West Virginia and I would have liked to have seen him gone to Arizona, have some rallies there and like whatever will be, will be. But he has the power to go do those things. And that's what's been disappointing to me. And that's what I don't want to see people, you know, get more of those. I'm not talking about the president in this case. When you're when you're voting, you must make sure that if you believe that abortion is a right. And that women have rights. Make sure you're voting for someone who believes that you believe what you believe. Otherwise, you know, we end up in a situation where we're not moving the country forward.
0: Yeah, no, correct. I agree. And, and once we get through those primaries and make our decisions, we have to I think we have to understand that not voting is not the answer. That only helps Republicans because of the way that they've set this this system up and the way they've been put, you know, Trying to get minority rule for for decades now. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, all these SCOTUS decisions are a distraction from the coup. And I'm like, no, they're part of it. They're part of it. And it is up to our state legislatures to push back on those ideas. Let's also talk about prayer in school, because that's something else that was recently ruled on with the Supreme Court. And they didn't even go on the facts on this one they they created their own set of alternative facts in order to make this ruling. Can we talk about that for a minute and how you, as a candidate, as a senator in Pennsylvania, would ensure the separation of church and state?
1: Yeah, so first off, I'm Jewish. Uh, so the prayer in school thing has probably bothered me maybe more than some others because like to me, I see where that heads, right? This really truly is the beginning of indoctrination of some type or another. and we we need to make sure, that our school, first off, that our schools educate our children, that the teachers have the right tools that they need, and that we're not minimizing any minority as they're in school. So, like, whether you're Jewish or you're Muslim or, you know, you're you're atheist or, or whatever you are, not Christian, that you still feel comfortable going to school and not being indoctrinated with some religious text, whereas, on the other hand, I do believe that we should be teaching... You know more about history, the good and the bad. You know, and and I think you know, like some people are worried that kids are going to, you know, uh, their feelings are going to be hurt. I think kids are pretty resilient, and I also think that you know, that's how you we educate. That's how we move forward. We learn from our mistakes and we move forward. It wasn't always our mistakes either. It may have been our forefathers and foremothers' mistakes. So we absolutely need to make sure that the church and state remain separate. I mean, it, it will hurt so many people, and and. I don't think that there's a realization of how this hurts, you know, a non-Christian person if you are, in fact, Christian.
0: Yeah, and I think what kind of is lost on a lot of people, and not on our side necessarily, but you know, and with particularly Republicans or Christians specifically, is is the idea of consent and power dynamics. If I'm at school and I'm on the fifty-yard line and the coach says, "Let us pray," and I say, "I'm not praying with you," I could be singled out and treated differently and treated less than so i either have to pray with them so that i don't mess up my standing with the coach or i have to stand up for myself and risk being ostracized by the team or other people or that coach or anybody who who thinks i'm a weirdy for not wanting to join you in prayer at the 50 yard line and students like that students cannot consent because of that power dynamic. And it, it, it's the same with abuse. It's the same with assault, you know, with professors in college, for example. You don't have the ability to consent to that prayer as a young person because that person holds all the power. And, and I, I just find that frightening and gross because you're you're, again, forcing people to do something so that they aren't ostracized, blackballed, looked down upon, shamed, Considered part of Satanic Panic, which I feel like is coming back. We had it in the eighties, pretty bad. You know,
1: that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right.
0: So I think that's something we really have to look at.
1: One of the things I just want to mention, like feeding off what you were saying, is is like you know, we as parents, you know, we talk about peer pressure all the time, right? And it's usually focused around like drinking or doing drugs or things like that, right? Like we know that peer pressure has an impact, and yet. When we talk about it as a religious experience, well, we don't say that there's peer pressure there, to your point, right? Of course there's peer pressure there. Of course, if you're playing football and and you're the only guy standing on the sidelines or the only four people standing on the sidelines, you're gonna feel pressure to do something. It's ridiculous that we think any other way.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, re- I remember when I was working for the government and there would be points where people wanted to pray and I would, I would have to struggle with, Is this my supervisor or am I the supervisor in this situation? Who is going to if I don't hold hands and pray with these folks, how am I going to be looked upon, whether from my subordinates or from my supervisors? It was just it was a very tense and awful situation. And and I I can't I can't see how anyone would want to be part of that. So, uh, you know, that's a very important part of your platform and something that I think that uh, is really great that you're going to fight for for your constituency. And then finally, let's talk about some other things that are, are going on with, with regard to uh, gun control, gun reform, common sense gun laws. I mean, we 220 people die on, on the 4th of July from mass shooters. Of course, we had the Highland Park shooting just right on the tail of Uvalde, which was right on the tail of Buffalo. What sorts of things? And again, this is another SCOTUS decision that came down that makes it easy, struck down that, you know, concealed carry restrictions in New York. What is your idea for Pennsylvania for the, to keep the constituents of Pennsylvania safe?
1: Yeah, so I still think, you know, especially with, you know, AR-15s or any assault ri- rifles, I think any military-grade weapon, there's no reason for someone to have one. Uh, I, I don't know what you're shooting uh, other than, you know, like feeling good. And if you think that you're going to be able to fight the government, that obviously is not going to happen. You know, they've got tanks and, and airplanes and a whole bunch of things. So, so that's not the truth. So it's really just a, an internal need. I, I think that we should get rid of all of those weapons, you know, and I, I also like, like I believe that there should be more background checks. And I think licensing, you know, like I, I just don't understand how, you know, we can have like, I, I had to go get my passport renewed last year and getting my passport renewal actually took me 90 days to go through the process. And it wasn't really that big of a deal. Right. It was just a lot of time because I, I had to go back and forth and back and forth. But I could buy a gun tomorrow. That to me, there's something wrong there.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I think uh, my, my friend Pete Strzok, former special agent for the FBI, yep. worked on the Mueller investigation, was like, uh, it takes me longer to license my dog.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: It, it reminds that's me. Right. That, I'm uh, wearing
1: a shirt today, too, that says 22 you know, vets die mm-hmm. of suicide every day. Yeah. You know, and you know how they're dying of suicide by gunshot, wound primarily. Mm-hmm. There is a mental health issue. And I don't deny that. And actually, Reagan was the one that started the stopping of putting money toward mental health. But it's not the big issue. The big issue is that there are guns available.
0: No, definitely. And we do need health care. And I know that you're going to work on that, too, as a state legislature, Absolutely. whether it's mental or physical health care, and then also mental and physical health care for our veterans. I know you've got a lot of veterans there in Pennsylvania. And I know that it's a very uh, important issue to you and it's close to your heart. So I appreciate that as a veteran myself. Before I let you go, can you tell everyone where they can find out more information about your campaign, where they can perhaps uh, donate some money or if they don't have money, they can donate some time with text banking, phone banking, sending postcards? Where, where can everyone get that information?
1: Yeah. So if they go to vote Mark with a K, Pinsley, P is in Peter, I-N-S-L-E-Y dot com. So VoteMarkPinsley.com. It'll tell you more about me. It'll certainly lead you to the uh, to the donation page, which I, I would appreciate. But I actually do all appreciate all the other things that you said as well, like postcards and all of those things. They really do help.
0: Yeah, I love the postcards. That's I know that our listeners to this show absolutely love getting having postcard writing parties. So that's a, a wonderful way to help if, if you can't throw a couple bucks your way or both or all of it. Do whatever you can. So that's votemarkpinsley.com. And uh, we're going to follow this and we'll I'd love to have you back on as the, as the uh, election gets closer to see how you're doing.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, let's talk about something I use literally every day. Uh, I started taking Athletic Greens a while ago because I am really focused on taking care of my health and Athletic Greens makes it easy and convenient. It is the easiest habit I've ever picked up, and it is done the most for me. With one delicious scoop of AG1 by Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics for your gut, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, nervous system health, your immune system, which is so, so important right now. With those variants out there for COVID, it helps with your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It it helps with everything. It's everything, all the things. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. Right now they're offering you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com/slash dailybeans. Athletic Greens is a small, tiny microhabit with big, giant benefits. It is the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Plus, it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Cabinet full I had of bottles of vitamins and gummies and supplements. And then I my probiotics in the fridge and I had my superfoods and my adaptogens on top of my fridge. This saves so much time and so much money. It's incredible. Right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop of AG1 in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for those million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit AthleticGreens.com slash Daily Again, that's AthleticGreens.com slash Daily to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, everyone. It's AG from Mueller, She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win fund and elect Democrats in November.
1: Featuring us, of course the
0: hilarious Frangela duo.
1: Ben and Brett Mazzellis from the Midas Touch podcast.
0: And the one and only Kathy Griffin.
1: Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now.
0: That's HowWeWinLive.com. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. near good news good news and if you have any good news confessions corrections pod pet pics halloween photos any holiday photos any photos especially happy places i love those whoobies if you have a whoobie or a lovey i'd love to see them i love to hear the story about it those are some of my favorites you can send us all all of your good news and everything you want to submit to us at dailybeanspod.com just click on contact and august 22nd at largo in los angeles me midas touch how We Win, Frangela and Kathy Griffin, we're all going to be live on stage doing a big giant superpod and every single dollar that you buy a ticket with goes to helping Dem candidates win in the midterms. And they've done all the math so they know exactly where you get the most bang for your buck. Just go to howwewinlive.com for tickets. All right, first up, several listeners sent in a pronunciation correction. Uh-oh. This one is from Krista, pronouns she and her. What a fabulous episode this was. I'm so grateful for the details you noticed that the mainstream media does not. Oh, thank you very much, Krista. Quick correction. Representative Pete Meyer's name is pronounced Meyer or how you would pronounce Meyer. Okay, cool. That's how I thought I did it at first. And then I think I was saying Meijer at the end. This is relevant in his district because the Meyer family owns a chain of superstores in Michigan. Most medium-sized towns have a Meyer store. So he's a major name recognition. He has that, making it even more shocking that Trump's endorsed candidate Gibbs, who isn't even from the state, won the primary. Makes it clear that Trump's sway in Southwest Michigan is still powerful, at least among Republican Party primary voters. I look forward to your podcast every morning. You will never know how many people you have buoyed and empowered through these challenging times. Thank you. Thank you, Krista. Next up, from Anonymous, pronoun she and her. Send in the same correction with pet tax. Okay so same correction but here's with the pet tax hello baby be here now that's a great that's great advice but also what a cool looking cat looks like it's just a like i would say tuxedo but he everything's white except for his little batman mask so cute next up from rick he and him i work for an amazing progressive company who took great care of us since day one of the pandemic last year or so however has been rough as one of my co-workers has actively tried to undermine me at every turn. While I hate to leave the company, I'm super grateful and excited that this evening I accepted a position at a competitor for twice the money and what looks to be a wonderful team. I cannot help but recognize how fortunate I am and I just wanted to remind everyone that you never know what's around the corner. Well, oh, Rick, that's so, so fucking cool. I also wanted to thank you, AG, for your comments about your kitty last week. Oh, I had to euthanize one of my 15-year-old cats a few weeks ago, and it's really nice to know I was not alone. Yeah, my boy was 15 too, Rick. Thanks for all you do since the kitchen table days. For my pod pet tax, here's my sweet knob with 15 years of memories between the two pictures. Oh. Look at that boy. Oh. oh, It's so hard to do, Rick. They're seriously our best friends. Hmm. I was watching that um, documentary on Netflix called Don't Fuck With Cats. Don't watch it uh, because they show videos of people fucking with cats. And I watch true crime all the time. I am completely fine with like most true crime. But cat videos like that? Nope. Couldn't do it. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what that's about. I think just they're so helpless and wonderful. Mm. And they'll never do you wrong. I mean, except at like five in the morning when when their food dish is like a quarter of the way empty and it's a dire emergency. So they must sing you the song of their people. Next up from Steven, no pronouns given. Hi there. I just wanted to thank you for your fantastic podcast. I have my two daughters, 19 and 21. I remember those ages, religiously listening to your show every day. Hello, 19 and 21 year old. They love it. I had no interest in politics at their age, but they are fully immersed and help arranging rallies, getting people to vote and help run Democrat groups, Democratic groups at college. Dude, this sounds just like me when I went to Northern Arizona University and I was like super. And it was 92. So, of course, we were on to rock the vote and Clinton. And I've been a Democrat just pretty much my whole life. Their generation gives me hope for the future. Me too, Stephen. I've added pics of our pets. Jax is our black lab mix rescue, seven years old. Sammy is our 10-year-old golden and Petey is our one-year-old Catahoula leopard dog rescue and photobomb expert. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we have pet rats, too. This pick is me with Remy Gray, who sadly recently passed away. Oh, Remy, that's um, that's from uh, Ratatouille, I hope. And Dwight after Dwight Schrute. (laughs) They're awesome pets. And we have added two more babies, but I'm only allowed to upload three pics. Maybe next time. The rats belong to my daughter. I had a rat when I was 19. Her name was Maleficent. She was magnificent. Thanks again. Keep up the great work. We love you. And is that Eddie Van Halen's guitar on the wall? That is sick as fuck. Oh my God, this dog. (laughs) Oh, look at these. What a cool pack. What a cool pack you have. Hello, rats with a jaw shirt. That's great. I'm looking at the art on the walls behind you, the posters. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that very, very awesome submission, Stephen. Uh, Next up from Amy, pronouns she and her. Good day, my beans queens. I listen to your shows and I knit and crochet to keep myself informed and calm. I entered three items in a local county fair, not my home county, and I got three first place ribbons. I don't create to get accolades, but I do appreciate my prizes. Hell yeah, Amy. Included are a log cabin pattern afghan, a pair of socks I worked on while my son does schoolwork, and my son's girlfriend's Christmas stocking. Thank you for all you do. You're truly a national treasure. Amy, thank you. Oh, wow. That is absolutely beautiful. I love those colors. They match all my mid-century modern colors. Sock. Oh my God, that must have taken forever. That is amazing. Look how small that stitch is. Hell yes. And that stocking is absolutely lovely. Congratulations on your first prizes. That is so cool. Yeah. And you know what? I have to, ta- I have to tell you, every time I talk about knitting, Joyce Vance appears out of nowhere and with a chicken on her shoulder, a little silky chicken. And we talk about knitting. She's, she's, the, she's my knitting fairy godmother. Next up from Kate, an American in Canada pronoun she and her. Misheard lyrics. I'm going to be 70 this year. And I was today years old when I found out the lyrics to rock and roll all night are not. I want to rock and roll all night and part of every day. (laughs) Just. (laughs) Just, just, Just part of the day. I mean, I always thought that was surprisingly responsible attitude from a bunch of guys who look like that. But today... I was doing something else and came across the lyrics. Well, holy smokes, the real lyrics make more sense. Thank you for the swearing with the news. I need that. I recently signed up for your Patreon, and I'm getting used to getting episodes before I go to bed. I'm on Pacific Time. Rather than when I first get up. Takes some getting used to, but the swearing helps. Attached are pictures of my four-year-old... You could still listen to it the next morning, Kate, if you want. Attached are pictures of my four-year-old canine companion, Ruby. She's been with us since March. I took her it took her a couple of weeks to get uh the household running the way she needs it to but she's pretty much nailed it. The first pick is the day before her hair and nails appointment, of course. The second one is right after. It's been hot here and she's she's a lot livelier since the grooming ordeal. I expect you'll know the breed right away. Mimi, thank you for all you do. I live in Canada now and vote absentee. Sweet, please stay safe and well. Look at this little baby. Oh yeah, I bet that haircut is much much nicer in the heat. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming she's a little Yorkie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it says. Ruby is a Yorkshire Terrier. So beautiful. Thank you. And happy birthday soon. 70. That's a good one. That's awesome. 70 is the new 40. So congratulations. And I want to rock and roll all night and part of every day as well. Thank you for all of these great submissions. If you have anything to send in, you can send it in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana! I believe we'll be back. Let me check. Let me just check my calendar to make sure. I think she's coming back Monday. Do, 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 yes. Dana will be back Monday. I miss her dearly. She has become such an important good friend to me. And she's just such a beam of light in my life. And so I'm very happy she's coming back next week. Thanks for sticking with me these past two weeks. I appreciate it. Pete Struck appreciates it. Honorary King of the Beans. And uh, I'll be back in your ears, of course, on Monday with Dana. And then this afternoon, if you're a patron, join our Zoom call. We got a cleanup on L45 at 5 Pacific, and we got The Beans at 4 Pacific. I'll see you then. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Vote Blue over Q. I've been A.G., and them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane